And I also got to say, I am so thankful for Andrew for talking about um, the, just being a bad mom, because I'm going to start off by sharing how I've been a really bad dad. So that's going to be one of my testimonials this morning, because I wish that someone had told me the day that my son was born that being a father was, um, it was going to involve an ongoing evolution in my parenting style. That at each stage of growth, it would require me to shape and to shift how I related to my son. Now, now that seems really obvious now, um, but when you're young and you have your first child, you're grasping for any simple wisdom that you can find or any routine that will get you through. And in your head, as a, as a young dad, you're just thinking, oh, well, this is just going to be like life lived before. I'm just adding another responsibility, Right. And at the time Will was born, complex developmental child psychology was something that did not occur to me when I was a new dad, right? So what we discovered to do over time was that, was that Will's growing up meant that I needed to do some growing up too and some changing. So my prayer, the day that Will was born, and I wrote it in my journal um, the, the, the morning that he, he was born, I wrote this, dear God, please let this child see your presence in me. And what I didn't realize at the time was that how God's presence moves in us isn't always the same for each stage of life. So this, this beautiful, little, innocent child, well, he began to grow up and, and he began to have thoughts and he began to express those thoughts and his thoughts were, were different than, than my thoughts. And then he became a teenager, right? Anybody can relate to that. And as I found out the hard way, and especially as, as Will left high school and went to college, that I had to make the transition from I'm the dad, I'm the authority figure, to I'm the dad, I'm, I'm the chief encourager. And so what I didn't know was that the shift had already taken place in our relationship. As he grew older, he had moved on from seeing me as that authority figure as he left high school and went to college. And that's what happens when our children grow up and they mature and they, they self-differentiate, right? And so what was left was for me to make a shift in my way of thinking about how our relationship had changed to match the reality of that relationship. So what I needed, using our theme this morning, I needed a new wineskin for new wine. So as we move through Lent, we're taking um, every Sunday to go through different of Jesus' teachings, and we call them parables. And so this morning, um, the two sayings of Jesus aren't actually what we think of as parables. Um, they're not really stories, but they really are parabolic in a sense. And so when asked by the disciples what a certain parable meant, this is what Jesus said. He said in Matthew chapter eight, to you, it has been given to know the secrets of the kingdom of God. To others, I speak in parables so that looking you may not perceive and listening you may not understand, which is really kind of an unusual response if you think about it. But what Jesus is saying is this, as he quotes the prophet Isaiah, he's saying, when you tell a story or say something pithy that invites someone into a way of seeing reality in a radically different way, you have to make a choice. You either agree or you disagree. You either see it or you don't see it. You either accept it or you reject it. And so parables were just simple ways of speaking around things. That's actually what the Greek word means, parable. 
And so in telling something in a parable, it might be a way of adding color to a point that you want to get across, telling it inside an interesting story that invites the listeners to lean into a bit to what you you have to say. But it also might be a way of telling a story so that those who are listening in, who have something to lose in that story and who might want to push back, don't really even get what the speaker is saying. It might be a way of keeping you out of direct conflict with people in power. And so you tell the story and you hope that the people who need to hear the story hear the story. But what the parable always was, was a way of painting a different view of reality than the one that people were accustomed to and inviting people into a new vision of seeing things. And so the people that Jesus was speaking to were in desperate need of a new vision of how the world worked. And I suspect in some way they're not different too much from how we need to hear the same message today. And so in Jesus' time, his listeners would have been Jews who had lived with many different prevailing winds, exerting incredible pressure on their day-to-day experience. They lived in an ongoing fear of death and disease, war and famine. During their lifetimes, they had never known a time when they were not under the thumb of Roman rule, of Roman oppressive rule. And many of them would have had the mindset of a subjugated people, of an enslaved people. Just just keep your head down. Just get through the day. Just do what you have to do for your family, subsistence and survival. And when Jesus taught them to pray, give us this day our daily bread, he meant that prayer literally. But they were also a people with a history and a purpose. They knew the story of God who had called them out of slavery and who had promised them freedom. And when they messed up, which God knew they would do, God had promised them a savior, a servant who, like Moses, would deliver them. And the people who listen to a Jesus sermon may be keeping their head down, hoping not to be noticed by the people in power, but they lived with a sense of expectancy that at any moment, God was going to do a new thing. And the question wasn't if God was going to do it for them. The question was when God was going to show up. And so then when Jesus shows up miraculously healing people and telling people that the kingdom of power and the kingdom of the power of God is nearer than they think, they began to realize this is the time God has shown up in power in the person of Jesus. And it's a little frightening to folks to be told that the container that had held your faith for so long is no longer adequate to contain the new thing that God wants to do in your life. But belief always has a structure to it. It always has a practice or pattern. That's unavoidable. So what do we do? And that's why why I love it when people tell me that they don't like organized religion, to which I always respond, well, you've come to the right place because we like it a little disorganized around here. (laughs) What we hope is that our container of faith doesn't limit the exercise of faith but instead gives that faith room to expand and to grow and to breathe. And that's the question, by the way, that comes up in Paul's letter to the Galatians. A group of teachers have been coming through Galatians. They're teaching uh, that in order to be all right with God, teaching that in order to have a relationship with God, all that Jesus stuff is wonderful, 
but you have to practice the outward disciplines of Judaism. And, and, and they, stuck, they got stuck particularly on the, the ritual practice of circumcision. And Paul's not having it. New wine means new wineskins, but he knows that changing out the old container for something new can be a little disorienting, right? And here I want us to pay really close attention to what he anchors the Galatian church to, because I think he's going to give us a glimpse of the power that anchors us today. He reminds them of this. He says that God's purpose is always freedom. And he says it in Galatians 5.1. He says it's for the purpose of freedom. He says it's for freedom that you have been set free, which is interesting because it's a lot like saying it's for eating that you eat. It's for exercising that you exercise. But what he's suggesting here is that freedom has been God's purpose all along, that God's people do not waste their lives evaluating their lives against measures that, do not, that don't matter and that rob us of living right here and right now. But just think about it. How much time have we spent thinking about how our lives measure up against other people's lives? Or thinking in some sense that our lives will never have value unless we possess X, Y, or Z, and you fill in the blank of what that is. And we have this uncanny ability to create this complex rule system in our lives by which we can never truly be free or be happy unless all of those conditions are met. So it was like my thinking when Will was younger, my son was younger, that I wasn't a good parent if Will didn't make the best grades in class or if he didn't knock the ball out of the ballpark or if he didn't have the, the winning Pinewood Derby car. Um, and, and you know, of course, I never really actually thought those things. Those are just examples that, that, that entered my mind, right? <laughs> but if we're, able, if we're not able to measure our growth and success and, and personal improvement by all those external measurements that people are telling us that are important, um, then how are we ever to know that we're on track? How are we ever to know that we are winning in life, right? And that's a great question, so I'm glad you asked it. <laughs> so Paul says this in, in Galatians 5, 6. He says, for in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision means anything but what? Let's say this together. But faith working through love. Faith working through love. And there it is, right? The new container for faith, the new wineskin, the new piece of cloth. Faith working through love. And I have to tell you, when I, when I came into this understanding of what Paul was saying, it was incredibly disorienting. Because I like to know the rules and the measurements. But faith working through love feels very much like freedom from that mindset. But if we're throwing out the rules and the measurements that we've got accustomed to, what's, what's our guidepost? How do we know that we're making progress on our journey in life? And here, Paul casts a whole new vision for what it looks like to be journeying close to God and, and then to be journeying inside the purpose of God. He says this, that our power for living that life is the Holy Spirit. He tells the Galatian church, he says this, he says, walk by the Spirit and you will not carry out the desire of the flesh. And if you want to know if, if you're on the right track or not, don't look to the things that don't matter. Look to the qualities of a life lived close to, to the Spirit of God and, and what that life produces. And, and Paul refers to these as the fruits of the Spirit. 
And so he continues in, in a few verses later. He says, the fruit of the Spirit is, if you want to know what that life lived close to the Spirit of God looks like, he says, it's love and joy and peace and patience and kindness, generosity, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. He says, there is no law against such things. All of these things are permissible. And to those who belong in Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. If we live by the Spirit, let us also be what? Guided by the Spirit, is what he says. And I've been doing ministry long enough, almost 30 years, to know that there are different seasons in which we ourselves are being stretched and grown for something new. And I also know that some of those things that I held on to very tightly 30 years ago really do not matter that much right now. Anybody have anything like that? When you're in your 20s, you're like, you believe certain things, you had on, held on tightly to certain things as part of your identity, how you saw yourself, and as you got older, you just realized they just aren't as important as I thought they were. Time and maybe some experience, and maybe a whole lot of grace can do that. And can I say that there are things, even now, God is working in Susan's, my wife Susan's, in my life, where we're being challenged to lay down these worn-out ideas of what we thought we'd be doing at this stage in life, and then re-envision how God wants to use us in ministry. In fact, this is a conversation she and I have almost daily so I want to leave you um, with what I call five operating principles, right? That Susan and I always have in the background as we trade out the old wineskins for the new ones that can hold the new thing that God is doing in our, in our lives, but also the life of our family. And I think also maybe in your lives as well. And so you can file this under the category of how do I change my wineskin? How do I grow into a new cloth? So here you go. The first one is this. Be teachable. So I love what, what Proverbs 9.9 9 says. It says, give instruction to someone who is wise and they will still be wiser. Teach a righteous person and they will increase in their learning. And I love the humility of that. We can be confident in the things that we know to be true about God and still be open to growing in the knowledge we have of God and, and what God's will is for our lives. As long as we draw close to the Spirit of God, the promise we have is that God will bear fruit in our lives and just being teachable. And the second thing on this, in, this, in this, operating, this operating plan of how do we get close to the Spirit of God and just listen and discern and not constantly look around and, and measure our success or the progress of our lives by, by how other people are measuring their lives is this, just listen. And so the spiritual dis discipline is, is really, it's one called just discernment, right? And discernment's one of those words that, that you kind of only hear in a faith context at a church. And here I'm talking about discerning wisdom from God and then discerning what God has already done and is doing in your life. And so one of the things you hear us talk about sometimes is, is creating a spiritual timeline where you chart off the course of your life and being able to point to those places where you have seen God at work. And all of us have those times, those highs and those, and those lows in life, those highs where we go, hey, God was there. I felt God's grace. 
I felt empowerment by God. And those lows were like, I really need you, God. And I need you to show up. I need you to, to pour out your grace. I need some favor right now. And pointing to those times where God was there in those crucial moments. And as you do this discernment process, do an inventory of your own spiritual gifts, right? How has God grown you in ways that now enable you to speak life, experience, and grace into the lives of others? And maybe that's just one of the ways that God is growing you and stretching you, right? To be able to minister to someone else's brokenness. So third is, is, is look. It's look around you. And so in Matthew's gospel, in chapter 9, verse 6, Jesus sees the crowd, and we're told he had compassion on them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. And so the question I want to ask you here is, what is it that burdens your heart right now? What is it that you feel a heaviness about? And I just want you to think about that for a moment. What is the thing you, th you see and you think to yourself, this is not the way it's supposed to be? And it could be that as you pray about that thing, that God is preparing you to minister right into that situation or circumstance or thing. And so be open to that Holy Spirit prompting. Talk about the burden that's on your heart with someone that you trust. And maybe they can confirm for you that, yes, this is the thing that God is preparing in your life for you to minister and speak life into. And it could be anything. Turn on the news. What's the thing that burdens us right now when we turn on the news? The situation in Ukraine. Drive through Nashville and you'll see places in desperate need of a word of life and the ministry in, in, in Jesus' name and healing. So the fourth is this. The fourth one is release. So what's holding you back? And, and, and whatever it is that's holding you back, lay that thing down. And I'm going to tell you, that is like the hardest thing for me to do. It's the hardest thing for you to do by yourself. So that could be your negativity. It could be anger. It could be resentment. It could be fear or pride, doubt, or any of the destructive thoughts that keep us stuck. And I usually have to name what those things are, like get it out there and just say them. And then I have to share it with someone, usually with Susan or someone that I know. And just to get it out so that we can begin praying into it. And then you begin praying for the grace to lay those things down. And just getting it out sometimes, just saying it, getting it out into the open, feels like freedom and raises it to that place where, where God can still start ministering into that in your life, ministering work of healing in your life. And then the fifth thing is this, and this is so important in the context of community and the community that we have here at the bridge or, or at Woodmont, is enter God's story, be swept up and what God is doing in community. And I want to I encourage you with this one, that whether you see it or not, God is at work all around us. There is life and love being shared, mercy being shown, people serving in hundreds of poured out ways, sacrificial ways right in front of us. Know that God has worked right now to use you for kingdom life to speak life and healing to someone who needs to hear that their life is important, that they are important, that they are worth saving because God has work for them to do too. So be teachable, listen, look, release, and enter into God's story. 
And remember this, that as we allow God to do this work, this renewing, this changing of the wineskins inside of us, as Paul says in Philippians 1.6, he says, for I am confident in this very thing that he who began a good work in you will do what? Will see it to completion, will make it perfect until the day of Christ Jesus. And what's so interesting is when you hear the testimonies of people who have stepped into God's new thing, it's not anxiety that you hear, it's joy. You hear trust, you hear hopeful anticipation, you hear expectancy, you hear passion. And I don't know about you, but those are the things I want in my life. A sense that God is doing something, that God is leading, that God is empowering, and I'm not alone on this journey. That there are people making the journey alongside me, arms locked together, fulfilling the work that God has called us to do. And if there were any gift, if I could ask God for you on behalf of you this morning, it would be that. That we could all live with this sense of expectancy. That God was at work in our lives and using our lives and loves and serving to create a world where, where, where God reigns and we are moving into and growing into God's stewards of God's creation. That's the work that God has called us into, to grow into the ones who speak his love and life and healing to the brokenness that we see around us. Let's pray together. Gracious God, we just thank you for your presence this morning in this place as your spirit is poured out on us. We thank you for the life that we have because of what Jesus did for us. We thank you for the many ways that your gifts have been poured out onto us, God, so that we can minister in the name of Jesus. We thank you for the grace that we've been shown. We know that we can never measure up to the goodness of Jesus. We know that we can never measure up to all the the rules and the standards and the expectation that other people have over our lives but that we can live in grace. We are forgiven. We can experience, God, your freedom of being able to be that person you have created us to be and to live into that reality, God, through the power of your Holy Spirit by just drawing near to you. And so we pray, God, that you open our hearts to receive what you have for us, that we have clear vision, God, to follow your leading and prompting, God, And open our ears to hear the wisdom that you're speaking into our lives. And we thank you, God, for the the work that you have called us to here in this place, in Nashville, in Tennessee, in this part of the United States, God, where there are so many places to minister life in the midst of brokenness, we pray. Here we are. Send us. In Jesus' name. And everybody said, amen.